Your home of the pens and the best pens coverage. WXDX FM Pittsburgh, an iHeart radio station. James Harrison retired, and all kinds of crazy things are being said. We went over the Pro Football Hall of Fame thing yesterday. Harrison won't make it. We went over the Steeler top 10 thing yesterday, too. Harrison isn't. But you're also hearing that Harrison's 100-yard interception return in Super Bowl 43. I keep hearing that's the greatest play in Steeler history and the greatest play in Super Bowl history. First off, there is zero question that the greatest play in Steeler history is the immaculate reception with Franco. That play launched the Steelers' dynasty. And as far as Harrison's pick six being the greatest play in Super Bowl history, how the heck do you judge that? Doesn't it depend on what team you root for? Denver fans would say Elway's run on third and six, the helicopter run. St. Louis fans talk about when Tennessee came up one yard short. Giants fans would say Tyree with the helmet catch. And Steelers fans have plenty of options like Ben DeSantonio or several catches made by Lynn Swan. Why can't we just say Harrison is a borderline Hall of Famer, a top 20 Steeler probably, and that he made a great play that everyone remembers and helped win a Super Bowl? Because that can't be argued. Sick Again is brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. I already, in just a couple seconds since I said it, I already got a couple tweets pointing out that the Immaculate Reception was lucky, quote-unquote, which, of course, it was. In fact, not only lucky, but maybe even illegal. Perhaps by the rules of the day, it should not have even counted. Even more so, uh, excuse me, I lost track of my notes. The Immaculate Reception was significant. It's not what was the most entertaining, although God, a bank shot off your receiver and their DB to your running back on fourth and a million, whatever it was. That's pretty entertaining. But the Immaculate Reception was significant. Harrison's return was probably not even the most significant play in that game. I mean, people say, well, Santonio from Ben wouldn't have counted, wouldn't have mattered if Harrison hadn't had his pick six. That's right. And if Santonio doesn't catch that ball from Ben, Harrison's pick six doesn't matter. If you want athleticism, Lynn Swan cornered that market in big games as far as the Steelers are concerned. I also see people who are concerned about Harrison's future relationship with the Steelers. Who cares? When you stop playing, who cares? I like Troy Pulamalu, but I don't care if he ever talks to a Rooney again. What's that matter at all, and what's that matter to me? I really don't think it matters to Troy. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Let's go to Kevin in the car. 
Kevin, you're on with the super genius. Hey, afternoon, super G. Good afternoon. Hey, I, like, um, I like Austin Reese in the uh, on the playoff. He's a big body. I think most of his, like two of his goals have come in tight down there, like a horn quest type of goal. Gensel's great there, but I think he's just going to take a beating. He might Gensel's hurt, not so. great there. Gensel's not great no, I didn't. down low on the power play. He he's, gets pushed out too easily and winds up yeah. not liking being down low. i got to be honest. I think he kind of chickens out. I think he drifts to the perimeter very easily when he's on the power play. They end up with nobody yeah. in front. At least that's what I've observed when Gensel replaces Hornquist on that unit. There was a time. Maybe when Horny was in a slump and last year when Gensel was going great guns. There was a time when I thought, okay, pull pull Hornquist off that unit and put Gensel out there, and then they did it, and I saw how very wrong I was. Yeah, I like the big body uh, Austin Reese in there. I think that would be... Aston Reese, sir. Don't mispronounce his name. Aston Reese. Uh, What I like about Zach Aston Reese on that unit is... He's not a banger in the pure sense of that word, like Hornquist. But he'll absorb punishment. And when the puck comes in there, you know what Horny does? He just whacks and whacks and whacks and whacks and whacks and whacks until it goes in. And if it doesn't go in, well, it's not just the puck he whacked. He whacked a lot of people in the other jersey. Aston Reese will, like, pluck the puck out of a crowd in tight, go backhand, forehand, or forehand, backhand, whatever, and just put it in the net. They're both good net front presences, but in a different way. But but the point is, even though Aston Reese has more finesse in front, he stays in front. He does set the screen. He does take up bodies. It's a different style, but he stays in front. And that's one thing you want from that guy. He's got to stay in front. He can't drift away. Like, honestly, watch the game tomorrow. That's what Gensel's going to do. Drift away. Did Sam Cooke sing that? That's what they said about Sam Cooke. Rod Stewart sang a version. Ah, the moment's gone. Let's go to Greg in Uniontown. Greg, you're on with Double M. Genius. What up, man? Hey, you kind of stole my thunder on the James Harrison thing, but that's why you're the super genius and I'm just, you know, a listener. But at any rate, isn't that everything that's wrong with football? How you can distill one undersized linebacker's Slightly above average career and the one play, and in the eyes of the you know new wave millennial fanboys, isn't that what makes them a Hall of Famer? Unfortunately, no, <laughs> it's just not. I don't see any context that makes James Harrison a Hall of Famer. If you I want to put him right. in for one play, I know what you're saying. I Guys right, get man. in that don't deserve it because of one instance or one season or you know some small sample. But right. I, I just can't put him in for that one play. Now, you can make an argument that he deserves consideration. You know, between the two first-team All-Pro selections, two second-team All-Pro selections, defensive player of the year. But for me, he wasn't good enough long enough. But then again, the whole Hall of Fame process in the NFL, most of all, is so flawed. Because you get a bunch of guys in the room, and they campaign for guys they liked or guys they covered. If James Harrison gets in the Hall of Fame, it won't be because he had an overwhelming career because he didn't. It'll be because Ed Bouchette of the Post-Gazette served as an effective campaign manager when all the voters got together in a room. No doubt. You see, I I think it's very... Boy, best 
word to use is probably crooked. The nicer word to use is bogus. But why do they have to get together and debate? You don't have guys campaign for, you know, players to get in the Hall of Fame. Why is campaigning necessary? These are the voters. They supposedly know what they're doing and talking about and saw a lot and are football experts, or they wouldn't have a vote for the Hall of Fame, right? Just let them vote. Just let them vote. Don't campaign. But I got a feeling it degenerates into, okay, you vote for my guy, and I'll vote for your guy. Like I said, the best word to describe it is crooked. A nicer word to describe it is uh, bogus. Actually, that's not a real nice word either. Okay, Drift Away was written by Mentor Williams. Dobie Gray made it a hit. My God, the most recent guy to record it was Uncle Cracker. It's one of those songs, it it charted with Dobie Gray in 1973. Rod Stewart covered it a few years later. I think that charted too. It's one of those songs you don't remember hearing, but you heard it. And when you hear it again, you say, oh yeah, I know that song. As in, give me the beat, boys, to soothe my soul. Want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. I believe I could get on the charts with a rendition like that. 412-333-9939. Let's take one more quick call. Let's go to Joe in Greenfield. Joe, very quickly, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Terrific. Um, So I'm just calling about the Penguins uh, Penguins power play. You know, he wouldn't fill the same role, but just, you know, maybe a crazy idea. What would – how are your thoughts on Alexiak? Maybe just in front of the next on the power play. No, he's he's never done it. Why would you experiment wildly like that in a playoff game? And Maybe he would not, he, he would know. be he would be terrible on entries. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't know when to peel away from the front of the net and go retrieve pucks in the corner, bro. It's just a terrible idea. Okay, I, yeah, I was just awful, kind of curious awful. No, thought, stop, but... ta- stop talking, stop talking now. You're done. It was a terrible, terrible idea, and you're done talking. One hundred five nine the X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. The cream comes to the top. I feel like I'm just bubbling over. You wear pants while you're on the air? Because I wouldn't. Who told you? The X at 105.9. If you're just tuning in, Patrick Hornquist will miss game four tomorrow at Philadelphia. Who should fill in on Sid's line? Who should fill in on the number one power play? How bad will the Penguins miss Patrick Hornquist? It's a stick sandwich, gang. Hornquist is not a player you can afford to be without, especially against Philadelphia. However, injuries happen all the time in the playoffs. Sean Couturier, the Flyers' number one center, got hurt today at practice in a bizarre collision with teammate Rodko Gudas. His status for tomorrow's game uh, has not been announced, but uh, this just in Claude Giroux. Uh, told a Philadelphia writer it doesn't look good. And uh, this also just moving, the Minnesota Wild will be without Zach Parise moving forward. He suffered a fractured sternum. My God, did Ric Flair chop him? Woo! Uh, that was in Game 3. Parise scored and the Wild beat the Jets. But uh, the Wild already missing Ryan Suter. It's going to be even tougher 
now that they're missing Zach Parisi. 412-333-9939 is the number to call up. I got a couple tweets suggesting the Penguins call up Daniel Sprong in the absence of Patrick Hornquist to put him on Sid's wing. I'd do it. He's a better fit than Simone, a better fit than Sherry. He's really a better fit than Rust, although Rust has performed that duty in semi-respectable fashion when called upon to play with Sid. But uh, I thought Sid looked great playing with Sprong earlier this year. But they're just not going to do that. And uh, Sprong, by the way, had 32 goals and 33 assists in Wilkes-Barre-Scranton. In this, his first full pro season. He led Wilkes in goals, assists, and points. Also led him in power play goals with 11. Don't forget, uh, this is Sprong's, like I just said, first full pro season. Sprong is still only 21. The kid is a natural offensive talent who should fit right in with the Penguins the way they play and what they want a winger like him to do. But Penguins management and coaches just don't like Sprong, especially the coaches, not as a player or as a person. So I'm curious to see what Sprong's fate will be in Pittsburgh, and I feel very confident saying a lot more wings will have to get hurt before you see Daniel Sprong in a Pittsburgh jersey during these Stanley Cup playoffs. Let's go to Anthony in the car. Anthony, you're on with the super genius. Can't hear you. Your, your phone, it sounds like you're underwater. Let's go to Chris in the car. Chris, you're on with Double M. Uh, Mr. Madden, I, I would like to ask you about uh, your take on, uh, on Phil Kessel. This whole year, he's been fantastic. He's been a lot more aggressive. Um, these first three games kind of have me worried a little bit. Is he, you think he's playing? Oh, I thought he played a real good hurts. game three. I thought he was excellent on Sunday, didn't you? Well, he did. Yeah, well, he ended up with an assist, correct? Uh, I'm not sure what his points were. He set up Broussard for that power play goal. I know that. But that right. his putt movement was real good. He was much better coming through the neutral zone. He did a great job distributing on the power play, which went three for seven on the day. I thought Phil Kessel had a very strong game Sunday at Philadelphia. The only worry that I have is, is that he had been, you know, during the season especially, he had been pretty aggressive uh, on his forecheck and even his back check to an extent, which is something we hadn't seen two years before. So, uh, you know, on top oh, of... Oh, I disagree. Scoring, I, I thought Phil back-checked and forechecked and pay-checked. I think he's done all that since arriving in Pittsburgh in 2015. I, I've honestly never had a problem with any of the things that supposedly were a problem in his play in his prior stops, Toronto and Boston. I mean, what do you oh, want the guy to do? He's not a big oh, no, hitter. No. He's not a shot blocker. He plays defense in a funny way. That's why people don't think he is playing defense, but... Instead of getting in front of the guy, and, you know, trying to you know check him and play the body, Phil just you know skates and catches him from behind, and kind of veers him off to the corner or pokes the puck off his stick. Phil's just a different cat, and he's a different hockey player. And I've grown to appreciate. It. I think I think everybody in Pittsburgh should have grown to appreciate it by now. Let's go to Nesto in Vermont, Nesto. You're on with these super genius. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Terrific. 
Hey, I just uh, saw a tweet that a buddy of mine uh, sent me. It's a video showing Radko Gudis sending Katoria. Uh, yeah, I, I already saw it. Yeah, what, do you think? Uh, how do you think that's going to affect us in Game Four? Who's us? Well, the Pens. Without them having their number uh, one center, we're just going to. I would rather have Hornquist, and they have Couturier. But if the Penguins don't have Hornquist, I hope they don't have Couturier. In fact, I Fair hope enough. they don't have Couturier. Period. I mean, any flyer who gets hurt is fine by me. And the better he is, the better I like it. I mean, what's so hard to understand about that? Well, of course. But you think they're going to flip Drew over to back to play in center full time? Or? It doesn't look that way, brah. He's had a lot of success at left wing this year, and it doesn't look that way. The word is they're just going to move all their centers up the depth chart with Nolan Patrick being the number one center. In this case, it looks like between Giroux and Voracek because when Katoria left practice, that's who he was centering, the proverbial eggs all-in-one basket line. Actually, since Katoria got hurt in practice, I think it's tough to say what they'll do to predict. I think Hack still has to take a deep breath, consider the situation, and if he thinks like me, then yeah, I would, and he should, move Drew back to center. Let's go to Mark in Madison. Mark, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Terrific. Hey, uh, the one thing about Sprong is he's a right-handed shot like Hornquist. That's what I hear. And, you know, I mean, for Sid to have that option... Yep, they're not going to do it. Anything else? Uh, how about Broussard on the power play? He's on the second power play, and I think he, I think he fits well there. I don't want to put all three of my top centers on the same power play, right? Because then you have to come back with Shan the next shift, and what if he has to short shift himself because he gets hurt or whatever? I don't want all three centers on one power play. I think that, I think you kind of conceivably, it's a long shot. But a situation could arise where you're painted into a corner. Up next, he is the godfather of the Pittsburgh sports media. He is the fabulous Stan Saffron. Stan coming at you here on 105.9. This is Justin Schultz of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. Joining me now, he is the godfather of the Pittsburgh sports media. He is the great Stan Saffron. A stand to me, losing Hornquist is almost as bad as losing Sid or Gino. How will the Penguins cope with his absence tomorrow night at Philadelphia for Game 4? Uh, Mark, I agree with your premise. Um, and, and because not of just um, you know what he, he brings, but what he does. He's obviously one of the only guys in the entire NHL, certainly the only guy in the Penguins, who plays the way he plays. And he's, he's been invaluable, especially on the power play. Um, my guess is, I, I don't, I, I'm thinking of possibilities. Um, maybe Zach Aston Reese comes up from the fourth line to play on the first line with Sid. He's played there before and had some success. Um, do they utilize him on the power play? This adds another forward like Gensel, who will go in front of the net, not in the same way. Do they even consider going with both Latang and Schultz, going with the two defensemen? Uh, lineup for the power play um putting zach aston reese up on the first line would be the least disruptive uh, it seems to me uh, i don't think they want to mess with kessel and malkin sullivan put them together for a reason 
presumably trying to get Kessel going again. Um, I don't know of anybody on the third line. I don't know. You know, maybe Rust moves back up there to take Hornquist's place. But again, uh, you can't substitute for that guy because of what he brings emotionally, but maybe more importantly in this case, uh, physically and the way he plays. Well, let's stay with the power play because I think that uh, might be a bigger issue. I would put Zach Aston Reese on the first power play. Uh, I think it's slot right in. He's a net front presence in a different way. Like, he drifts around a little bit, but he stays in the house. He won't go perimeter. And he does have good hands in traffic. What I worry about, Stan, is if Gensel's on the first power play in place of Hornquist, as it appears will happen, he goes to the perimeter really easily. He's just not cut out for that particular job. No, he's not. It's not, of course, a lack of willingness. I mean, he's, you know, for a slight guy. The other day, he had three big hits. Um, and you know you don't expect that from him, especially playing on the on the top line. Uh, I mean, he will go there. How effective he'll be in that role, of course, is is a different story. I mean, I, I'm fine with Zach Aston Reese going there. Um, I would I'd put Alexiak in there and just let him stand there, getting in people's way. Uh, but I I think that's logical. I, I don't know if they'll use him on the first power play. But, I mean, I do think that the possibility of him being on the first line with Sid is, is reasonable. And also, let's not, you don't want Sid to take any kind of a beating, but Sid certainly has been and is comfortable standing in front of the net on the power play. Yeah, but I don't want him to be the guy who goes there and stays there. I like him right where he is on the right post, drifting out uh, to the right dot. I think that's ideal, and he's at a lot less risk. Now, 5-on-5, five five, it looks like Dominic Simone is going to take Cornquist's place. I kind of get that because Simone's played okay before on Sid's line. And Brian Rust is part of a pretty good third line right now. I think they just want to let things be. Otherwise, except for Hornquist's absence, after a pretty good game three at Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, Sullivan is loath to change his lines uh, after a victory. Now his hand has been forced here. Uh, Simone would be the obvious choice. Clearly, Rowney's not ready. I thought maybe because you're losing some, I use the term muscle, but, you know, more of a physical type of guy, a bigger guy, let's put it that way, I thought maybe Josh Joris might get an opportunity, even though it might be on a fourth-line wing. Uh, if you do that, um, uh, you know, that might give you some size, a second face-off guy in that line in case Shan gets tossed. Um, Simone, I mean, makes some sense. He's, you know, kind of a gritty little guy. But I thought if we were looking for some size, they seemed to like the performance of Josh Juris. Again, probably limited minutes, you know, six, seven, eight minutes a game. Um, he can also help you on the penalty kill. I thought maybe that would be a reasonable possibility. Stan, uh, the Flyers also sustained an injury. Sean Couturier got taken out by that idiot Gudas at practice. Uh, quite the, quite the. I can't say dirty play because it's on a teammate, but if it wasn't your teammate, people would say it's dirty. What was your take on what happened, and uh, how much will Couturier's absence hurt the Flyers if indeed he doesn't play? Well, I think it's huge. Uh, look, he is a very, we, we don't like to give the Flyers much credit, but he is a terrific two-way player. You'll remember when he first came around as a rookie in 2012, uh, he was a defensive stalwart for the Flyers. He's really developed his game. He's an offensive threat. And I think that the big issue here, Mark, is that they understand that they've got to win this hockey game. They understand, first of all, they're not as good as the Penguins to begin with. They're sizable underdogs, and they know that if they go down 3-1, they might as well mail it in for Friday night. 
with that in mind, that's, I think, why Dave Haxtall decided to have Voracek and Couturier and Giroux play together. I mean, he's throwing all his eggs in a one-line basket. If Couturier is not able to go, then all of a sudden that strategy is blown up. You're losing arguably your best two-way player in that regard, certainly one of them, and it limits their opportunity even on home ice. I mean, I think it's a huge, huge blow to them. He's a terrific defensive player, and obviously Haxtall grasping at straws at this point, wanted to put those three guys together and not separate them. He's looking to win the hockey game tomorrow night with one line. Now, if Couturier's not there, that line is not anywhere near as effective. We're talking to Stan Savard. Stan brought to you by the law firm of Shenderovich, Shenderovich and Fishman. Uh, maybe Hornquist out and Couturier, if he's out, maybe it's tit for tat, Stan, but it sucks anyway because I really feel like game three had swung the momentum to the Penguins, and maybe decisively, but this kind of blurs that, at least as we start game four tomorrow night. Yeah, it does, because they really look like they were finding their game, uh, you know, the way they withstood, not that that's an advisable strategy, uh, but I really think if they would have come out, for example, tomorrow night with a really strong first period, um, it would reinforce in the Flyers' minds, no, not this year. Uh, I believe there's a, a point in every series where one team realizes that, they're going to win. The other side realizes we can't win. Uh, and I think if the Penguins, for example, have a really strong first period tomorrow night and have a lead, I think that would begin to settle in on the Flyers. In all honesty, Mark, and I don't want to get overconfident, it's only you know 2-1, it could be back 2-2, and then you know it's a best of three. Uh, I'm more concerned about Hornquist's absence beyond uh, the Philadelphia series, beyond Game 4. We have no idea what the injury is. We don't know how it happened. We don't know how serious it is. But there's a guy that we, I know we said it's about Latang too, but there's a guy that would make their opportunity to even get past a second series that much more difficult, especially if it's against Columbus. So I'm not necessarily concerned about tomorrow night. Uh, I'm not taking it for granted, but Hornquist's absence over the long haul is what I'm primarily focused on. Stan, this just in, Flyers General Manager Ron Hetzdahl says there will be no update on Sean Couturier's status for Game 4 until tomorrow. Game time. Uh, okay, let's be more optimistic. Let's talk about Matt Murray right now. He's 9-1 after a loss in Stanley Cup playoff games, and Game 3 really underscored Murray's rep as a clutch goalie, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. I mean, they subjected him to all sorts of abuse and punishment. Um, and uh, if you're going to play that way, which is not, again, an advisable strategy, and I hope we won't see that again tomorrow night, uh, if if that happens, and sometimes it does, he's got to be the one that stands up. He's got to be the ones that keeps you in the game until you can get your legs, get your wits about you, silence the crowd, and maybe more importantly, Mark, frustrate the opponent. They're throwing everything at him. They can't get anything by him. And it's more than a coincidence when you look at, A, their record after a loss under Mike Sullivan of the playoffs, 13-3, and lost two in a row only once. That was in the finals last year to Nashville. And Murray, not only the 9-1, and but a 1.52 goals against and a save percentage of 939. Um, he does have ice water in his veins. You never know how he's feeling, what he's thinking, just watching him on the ice. Other goaltenders are much more demonstrative, and that's okay, too. That's their personality. Uh, but I think a lot of veteran hockey people agree that, 
oftentimes the skaters sort of take their cue from the goaltender. And if they feel that he's calm and confident and in control, that feeling seems to permeate through the rest of the team. Murray was dominant in Game 3, pitched a shutout in Game 1, and really Sid dominated in both those games as well. Uh, Sid really seems ready to go on a run uh, right now, doesn't he? He's taken over, like I said, two of the three games so far, and he's playing with just an edge. Well, we've seen it plenty of times, Stan, but this is a good time of year to see it again. Exactly. You know, we know about what his regular season stats were and so on and so forth. And stop and think if he would have converted um, – a couple of the chances, really good chances that he had in, in game two. First of all, those games might have, and you can always say woulda, coulda, shoulda, but the, you know, the, the, the empty net, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, the breakaway, uh, you know, those kinds of things that could have not only turned his stats to be even more impressive than they are, but also might have turned that game too. And we wouldn't even be talking about the importance of tomorrow night. Um, that's what he does. You know, as we talk about leadership, uh, you know, I don't know what he says to the players. Maybe he doesn't say anything. But when he goes out and plays like that, especially when they're under siege like they were Sunday afternoon, and he does that wraparound, it wasn't only the, the brilliant play that he made. and He had some nice help there from Dumlin and, and Hornquist, too. But it's, it's the fact that he scored that type of goal against an embattled goaltender. Uh, no, no matter what the play was, uh, unless it's a really crazy bounce off the boards, any time a goalie gets beat on a wraparound, the goalie looks bad, whether it's his fault or not. And you've got a Brian Elliott goaltender who's shaky. They don't have much confidence in him, even coming up after game two. And for them, Sid, to score that goal, that type of goal, after the Flyers dominated like that, you could just feel the air come out of them and that entire building. You touched on this a bit earlier, Stan. Gino and Phil are playing together. Will Gino keep shooting because he needs to? That's my only worry when those two play together, although I'm all for it right now because I think Phil needs a bit more to work with than he was getting on the third line. Well, I think that it may be counterintuitive. That's that's my only concern about it. Uh, you know, we talk about Phil and, and Gino playing together, and we've seen, you know, Gino defer to him. Uh, frankly, in addition to, you know, Gino, uh, you know, not shooting enough, uh, Phil Kessel uh, is even more in that category. Kessel was second on the team in shooting percentage behind Malkin. I mean, Kessel's proven that he can do a lot of things well. His passing ability has been fantastic. And it's not like he's not contributing on the power play. He most certainly is. He's had some really nice dishes in that regard. But he's not shooting enough, and he's got the second-best shooting percentage on the team. And I worry about playing with Malkin if, we're, if the idea pair them together is to get Kessel going. Malkin's been fine. If the idea is to get Kessel going, will that necessarily happen when he's playing with Malkin? Because Kessel only had one shot on goal in game three. I mean, Kessel does a lot of things very pass as well. We know how well he skates. Um, I mean, even back checks now and again. But what's his primary asset? He's got one of the best shots in the NHL. It's lethal. And for him to be operating at maximum efficiency, he's got to utilize the biggest arrow in his quiver. Finally, Stan, uh, i got to get a quick James Harrison question in. Is Harrison a pro football Hall of Famer, and is he a top 10 all-time stealer? I think he'll fall short um, of, of the pro football Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, you know, I think he's certainly one of the best Steeler players, top ten. I really haven't counted them, but let me say this: when you figure out that there are, I believe, nine Steeler players, maybe ten now, um, uh, and and more on the way, 
already in Canton, then if you go by that definition, no, he wouldn't be in the top ten. Stan, great stuff. I will see you on your show Thursday. All right, Mark. Thanks very much. That's Stan Severin, the godfather, brought to you by the law firm of Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman. Up next, go to talk to Bob McLaughlin. I'm the super genius on 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Um, what do you think about the new, I can't remember what I called, sorry. Really awesome call. The X at 105.9. I'm joined by Bob McLaughlin. He's brought to you by 84 Lumber. Bob, uh, your take on the Hornquist injury and how can the Penguins best replace him both on Crosby's line and on the first power play? Well, first of all, the injury sucks. I love what you and Stan were talking about, saying nobody else may mean as much for one particular reason as Patrick Hornquist does to the uh, Penguins' chances. As far as replacing him, um, I like your idea of Zach Aston Reese going on the power play and taking his spot there. I like Russ, though, on the first line with Sid and Gensel. I think it's going to be it, Simone to start the game tomorrow, though. I, I don't mind that, but I like Russ up there. I like what he does. I, is he in the doghouse right now for a penalty in one no, of the other? No, not at all. Okay, because it seemed no, like... Here's what I would do. I, I'm not a big Simone fan. And you couldn't play Simone and Sherry on the third line. That would give Broussard too big a burden to carry physically, defensively. Those guys are too small and too soft both on the same line, especially. So I would put Rust with Sid and Gensel, and then I would put Aston Reese with Sherry and Broussard on the third line, which would move Sherry to right wing, although he's very comfortable with that. Right. And then I would put Simone at, at uh, wing on the fourth line and maybe not play the fourth line very much. Well, no, that's that, that's fine. I know it's worked out for them in the past, or well, through the beginning of this series. Um, I just like Rust up there. I don't mind Simone up there. Uh, and it was intriguing to hear that caller say, bring Sprong up. Sprong has been kind of on yeah, fire. It's just not going to happen. Okay, then moving uh, on. <laughs> yeah, right. My, my big thing with, with Aston Reese is, I just think he's a better player right now than Sherry or Simone. Mm -hmm. I understand putting Simone on, on Sid's line because... That that's the least disruption everywhere else from game three to four, but uh, it's not an outrageous decision, but it's not what I would do. Nor nor is Gensel on the first power play, not an outrageous decision, but I would use Aston Reese there. Well, it may be simple, Mark, as just if Sherry is able to go to the right side, then that's your option right there. You put him there and you make around that. Um, and you see what works. If not, you can always go back to one of the other options that we discussed, you know, before, you know, we agreed that Simone would be pretty good on the first line. Um, either way, I think that one of the keys to the game tomorrow night is what you and Stan just talked about too, Kessel shooting. Uh, I've been kind of yelling at the screen a little bit because he does make his name on his shot. It is a wicked shot. It is a weapon. He's got to do it more. He will shoot it exactly when he wants. <laughs> and not according to your whims, Bob McLaughlin. Uh, might, might I add, one hidden uh, decrease with the Penguins with Hornquist out. Now Gensel's the second-best player on his line. I think when he was the third-best player with Sid and Hornquist, I thought that's when he functioned best. He looked really comfortable in that tertiary role. What if this lights the fire, though? I mean, we know he can put it in the back of the net. We had He was on fire last year. Hell of a year last year. Maybe this ignites him a little bit. He gets a little bit of confidence, and this works out for him. Yeah, maybe it will. We'll see, but uh, it's not what I would bet on. I thought, I thought Gensel's best fit was with Hornquist and Crosby. And hopefully Horny's not out too long, and, and that fit will, again, be good. 
Uh, you saw Gudas hurt Couturier, that video. Many times. Uh, Ron Hextall, the Flyers GM, had no announcement, no update, so we'll find out tomorrow if Couturier could play. It sure didn't look like he'd be available, though, did it? That looked that looked pretty bad. It did not, and it looked just, you know, absolutely it was accidental, but it looked so careless. Well, you know what someone I mean, pointed out who was at the practice? They were doing a drill where two guys had to look for passes in the same proximate area, two-puck drill, and you just don't risk that come playoff time. You don't do anything complicated. You're just out there to loosen up and not much else. Mark, no matter what drill they were doing, at the last second, you can absolutely blatantly see Radko Gudis lift his right skate and stick it out. And, I mean, it takes Couturier's ass over elbows. If people haven't seen the video out there, it, it's – when I – heard what happened i thought i just went down you know maybe twisted something or not no it, it's a yard sale Couturier goes up and over stick goes flying he stays on the ice for a little bit and like you said sure sounded like it, he had some choice words for gudis after that and i think it's a bad sign for hextall to come out and say this nothing until game time um i think that there was any hope of him coming back he would kind of maybe put a little Pull a little spice on his, you know, his release to the media instead of just saying nothing till tomorrow. You want, you know, one time in international hockey, whether it's the World Championships or the World Cup, the Olympics, whatever, Gudas punched Giroux in the head. <laughs> Man, Mark, I joked around. Whenever and put he just... plays against his own guys, I kind of <laughs> like him. Well, I joked around when I first saw it and said, hey, that's just muscle memory. That's his first reaction. Somebody's going by right, him like that. That's a goof being a goof because it's in his... DNA. That's Bob McLaughlin brought to you by 84 Lumber. In just 30 seconds, I'm going to talk to you people who misguidedly think James Harrison is anything resembling an all-time great. We also want your hockey calls. Hornquist out. Who's going to take his place? No, the answer isn't Jesus. But who would you put on Sid's line? And who would you put on the first power play in place of Patrick Hornquist, who is out for game four? Tomorrow at Philly, 105.9 The X.